Today's show is brought to you by Rich Nutrients, New Zealand's premier provider of nutrient-dense whole food products. One of my current favourites is their organic beef and turmeric bone broth powder. And the reason for that is it's so convenient, you don't have to go through the whole process of actually making bone broth. And it's super tasty. If you visit their page, richnutrients.co.nz, click onto the shopping page and you'll find a Best Me tab. Under this tab, you'll find all of the products that I use and recommend. Now, as a Best Me listener, you have the opportunity to receive 10% off all orders over $30, which is a pretty decent discount. All you have to do is enter the Best Me discount code at the checkout, which in one word is Best Me, all in capitals. I hope you enjoy their products as much as I do. You can also find me at HealthFit Collective, which is exactly how it sounds, a collective of health and fitness practitioners, including physiotherapy, psychology, nutrition, we have movement coaches, personal trainers, massage, and much more. Our goal is to guide your dreams to reality, and we do this both within the club and online, offering tailored health plans, small group training, specialist services, corporate wellness, and education. So please go along and visit the page healthfitcollective.co.nz to find out more. You can also book a free 30-minute consultation with no strings attached. Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information inspiration and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself welcome back best me community and firstly i'd love to say thank you to you all for giving me such amazing feedback from that first interview with grant on multiple brains i know it was really content heavy but it sounds like you all got some really good practical tips and probably had your you know your minds blown um, with some of the facts that he that he pulled out there yeah, such an amazing guy, and I uh, really appreciate your feedback, guys, so thanks a lot. Uh, also, I want to say thanks to everyone who rated me on iTunes. Um, this really makes a difference, and it increases the exposure, and thank you to everyone who shared that last episode with their friends. We actually made it into the top 100 podcasts and, and on iTunes for a brief, brief period, which is uh, pretty mind-blowing, you know, first episode and all. Now, um, what's happening with myself? So I'm getting pretty excited about our new home. Um, at the moment we're building um, so it gives us that opportunity to really inject our values and our way of being into a, into a piece of land um, what I'm more excited about than the house itself is the actual the land outside so I've got this you know decent piece of land that I get to build this amazing permaculture garden and outdoor playground which you know I'd like to say is for the kids but really is for me um, and I have my ideas of how this could look and you know based on my research and my experience but you know, I'd love it if, if anyone out there um, could point me in the direction of some specialists in you know, permaculture or playground design even. Um, that would be incredible. Or if you're listening, please please make contact. I'd love that. Um, also, I'm looking at uh, increasing my connection with you know, my food, you know, exploring that you know, earth-to-table concept uh, or idea, which is funny. It's even a concept now because it's the way we used to be. Um, you know, getting away from that, you know, meat comes in a packet type thing. <laughs> um, so as I, as I said in the last one, I've really been uh, exploring the foraging, which I'm really enjoying. I've got a funny little story there where I thought I found some wild spinach last week and ended up burning the inside of my mouth out a little bit. So I'm looking at upskilling a little bit more there um, and also toying with the idea of either getting into diving or hunting so I can really get that connection uh, with my food. Um, so watch this space. I've also been diving into the science of, uh, you know, barefooting versus um, shoes. So just trying to add a little bit more 
uh, science to that uh, philosophy. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. It's been some really insightful uh, facts uh, and research that's come up. On a personal note, I've really been enjoying seeing my girls grow up. Uh, Eliza's five months now, and oh man, she is she's learning so much, and her movement just blows me away. And the way you know her little neurons fire, and she picks up these movements and interaction skills, just yeah, it blows me away. I feel like I learn more from you know my girls and than uh, anything else in life at the moment. Uh, and Brookie, she's really getting into some uh, gymnastics at the moment, so it feels like the first time she's really challenged me physically. Um, so I'm loving seeing uh, them grow up. It's, it's incredible. Now, moving on to this episode. This was actually my first interview, but for a few reasons, I released Grant's episode first. So excuse the sound quality, as I was kind of getting to know my software and my microphone a little bit. Um, and I was actually a little shaken, uh, literally, in this interview, as it was recorded just after the Wellington earthquakes last year. And at the time, I didn't really realize, you know, how stressed I actually was until I sort of came out of that haze. Um, so I apologize if I came across as a little bit um, fried in this one. Um, now, Frank, um, who we're talking to today, is such a cool guy, um, has so much practical knowledge and life experience with, a, you know, black belt in karate and Aikido as well as spent time in uh, tribes in Africa, you know, living with these tribes in Africa and a pursuit to learn more about human origins. It, this it really excites me. Um, and for those of you who know me, um, you probably be chuckling about this, but I fantasize about this idea all the time. So I, we really dive into this and, um, and then we go into his long body perspective, which I think is just amazing. Now, um, what I really like about him as well is he backs this life experience with science, you know, and he's got this, uh, BA from Stanford University in neuroscience and human biology. So he understands uh, you know, the why behind it all and the science behind it all. He's also spent some time with some pretty amazing people in their uh, their own rights, you know, like Robert Sapolsky, Paul Czech, who he mentions, uh, Edu Portel, and he's really well known in the paleo and ancestral community. Um, great writer, um, and he's a great deliverer of content in person as well. So I think you really enjoy this one. It's a really fun chat and we discuss many things uh, and towards the end there are some really practical tools on how we can pull that sort of ideal uh, way of being uh, into today's world, um, which I find, yeah, really, really useful. Um, and I'll, I've already pulled some of that and integrated some of that into my own life. Um, and he has this amazing answer to, you know, my big question at the end, which, you know, I think some of you will really enjoy. So... Um, please enjoy this this episode. Oh, one more thing, actually. Um, feel free to send me any questions or feedback on the show. Um, you know, if it's questions for myself about my way of um, of being or my philosophy, or even on some of the um, the content of the shows, um, and I'll do my best to try and answer these. Um, I'd also love it if you could recommend who or what you'd like to learn about uh, or learn from. So, um, any recommendations would be cool. And, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to dive into them. So please enjoy and I hope you like it as much as I do. Welcome back to the show. Um, today we have a very special guest. That's uh, Frank Ferencic. Um He's a writer, speaker and a movement teacher and, and much more. Uh, Frank is an internationally recognized expert on health and human performance. As an engaging speaker and a movement teacher, he brings a unique long body perspective, which we'll dive into a little bit today. Uh, to the human predicament and offers practical solutions for some of the most pressing problems of our age. He has a BA from Stanford University uh, in human biology and neuroscience. He's a member of the Council of Directors of the True Health Initiative, 
He's also a black belt rank in karate and hapkido. Pretty exciting stuff. And he's a contributor regularly to the Paleo magazine. Uh, excitingly, he's traveled to Africa on multiple occasions to study human origins and the ancestral environment. Um, and he's been named by Experience Life magazine as one of five visionaries leading the charge to better health in a healthier world. It's uh, quite a resume you got there, uh, Frank, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you guys. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into some of these um, topics, especially the, the long body. So I get this question a lot as well, um, but first and foremost, um, how do you explain who you are and what you do? <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, who I am, I have a bit of a background, I think, that's... Um, that's a relevant story. And that's that, uh, when I was a little kid, I was really sick a lot. I was, uh, I had all sorts of digestive problems and allergies and I, I couldn't keep up with my peers. I was physically pretty weak. And it was only later when I got involved in swimming and water polo in high school that everything changed for me. And it was the exercise that really did it. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was as healthy as all of my peers. And that really had a profound effect on me. So later on, I got involved in other movement arts. I got involved in um, intercollegiate water polo and then in martial arts and then in rock climbing because I, I grew up in California. So this um, that really set me on the path to studying the body. And at the same time in college, I was studying human biology and I had professors who really drove home this idea of, of human history, human origins. And they told me, if you are really into this, you really need to go to Africa and take a look at where you came from. So I was very excited to do that. And I finally got the chance to do that in the year 2000. That so. is fantastic. Um, so movement changed your life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the experience of exercise made me healthier. And in particular, the experience of martial arts really taught me a lot about how movement can be delivered and how to create a training environment that really works, how to build mm -hmm. a community around movement. The, those were some really valuable lessons. Yeah, a few big words there. Um, community being being a big part there that is often neglected. But I guess that um, that leans into the, the next question quite nicely. Uh, what, I was going to say, what were your intentions going to Africa and what were your insights? <sighs> well, my <laughs> intentions, my intentions were really just to see where I came from. Because we're all, ultimately, we're Africans, regardless of our um, ethnic origins. We're, we're all from Africa. And I was really curious about what that would be like and kind of wondering if that's the kind of environment that I could thrive in and if I could survive there, would, you know, what would it take for that? And I was really fortunate because I was able to go out with a tribe of Hadza Bushmen. And I was able to go out on one of their hunts and follow them up this this wash where we uh, they were darting around and they they um, they had bows and arrows and they made fire with a stick and they did the whole wow. thing and they, they actually killed a monkey and and built a fire and and roasted the monkey right there I, I got to witness the whole thing so wow. it it really 
you know, it was just one tribe in one place at one time. So I really can't make blanket statements about mm. the paleo from that. Yeah. But it stimulated my imagination mm. to the point where I, ever since that day, I've thought about, well, what would it take to be one of those people? What would it take to survive? And th that's been a real wealth of insight for me. And yeah. ever since then, I thought a lot more about especially things like sensation and navigation, how to find foods that work, what, what does it take to, what do you need to know to survive, and how is that transmitted from one generation to the next? Yeah. So, very exciting. <laughs> wow, so complex, but so simple at the same time. <laughs> right. Um, just out of interest, what I, I, I could imagine, I don't want to make assumptions here, but what was the health like of the people you observed, of the tribe? That's interesting because um, I think it was a mixed bag. Yeah. They, didn't, um, they didn't show any evidence of, for example, obesity or diabetes. Yeah. And I think their heart, their heart uh, conditions were good, too. And from asking around, I realized that they uh, very little in the way of like back pain or musculoskeletal problems. Yeah. But <laughs> they would do things, crazy things, like walk 20 miles to the nearest village to drink a lot of alcohol. And so they, they were fighting that kind of battle, too, that people around the world, uh, indigenous people have always fought. And they also are doing battle with things like smoke inhalation because they're around the campfire all the time. Okay. And so there's, there's problems related to that, too. So mixed bag, but generally pretty vital and pretty yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say physically. Um, I mean, to be able to take down a monkey, it must have been quite a feat as well. Yeah, yeah. And they routinely walk 10, 20, 30 miles a day. I mean, that's so, I mean, this answers this question I've got already, but um, exercise seen as something uh, external or something separate from your life, like a, like a chore. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, that, once again, I don't want to make assumptions, but it sounds like they didn't drop down and do 20 or 30 burpees at a time or do their, their three sets of 10. Um, plug the headphones in and isolate themselves and, and, and hate every second of it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. For, for them, exercise is a luxury thing. It's a first world thing. Yeah. Right, say. And it's not something that they would engage in normally. Yeah. And th this is important to realize. I, I read a book recently by Jared diamond, um, and Jared Diamond, you may know him from Guns, Germs, and Steel. He's written a, 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 some major books. And he, he spent time in New Guinea with uh, Native people. And one of the points he makes in his books is that Native people are physically very conservative. And they will not do things that put their bodies at risk because they don't have um, they can't call 911. They, yeah. they don't have emergency medical care. Yeah. And they are so dependent on the health of their bodies that they are not going to stick their necks out to do things like parkour or yeah. free running. You don't see them jumping yeah. out of trees voluntarily. Yeah. And that's something we do. So that's another insight that comes from that. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, movement is a part of their life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's uh, not making up for, for sitting at the desk all day. So. Right. <laughs> Interesting. The other uh, word you said there was um, community. Um, that's huge. How did you observe that? I mean, what what did you observe in terms of uh, community and tribe? Well, not as much as I would have liked. What, what I saw in the hunt was basically a boys' club. 
because yeah. the hunters were all men and they would go out as a pack of men and, you know, do the manly things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get to observe really very much that happened in the uh, the village itself yeah. or in the community itself. There, there's that traditional division of labor where the women do most of the gathering and, in fact, probably secure more of the calories than the men do. Yeah. But, but the men <laughs> like to feel good about, you know, bringing in the meat. Social status, yeah. Right. But the... Uh, the insight I had there actually came from a book called The Old Way. And this is about the, the oral tradition um, of the Juwasi or the Kung Bushman in, in South Africa. And she talks about the, um, the use of poison on the arrows. And the poison that they use on the arrows comes from the larva of a particular kind of insect that grows at the base of a particular kind of bush in a particular season. And the only way that you would know that is having that knowledge passed down through, through an oral tradition to you. And once you understand how important that oral tradition is, you start to look at your ancestry in a whole new way. For me, going to Africa and just basically parachuting into the Serengeti, I really had no knowledge, no matter how fit I was, yeah. it wouldn't matter because I don't know those things. I don't know which insect and which bush and how to make the poison for the arrows. And the only way you know that is with an oral tradition. And that's why these people generally put so much emphasis on their ancestors and respect for their tribal elders. That's a really big part of it. That's and fantastic. that's something that's I think we lose, you know, we lose in the modern yeah. world. Yeah, shared wisdom. Um, a bit of a contrast to the way we, you know, we exist now. Yeah, um, yeah. Could you please explain to us um, the term uh, long body and where you got it from, first of all? Uh, we, well, we picked up this concept and, and dive into it. Sure. <laughs> well, I picked it up. It's an obscure Native American phrase, and I believe it comes from the Iroquois tradition, but I haven't been able to verify it. If you Google the long body, you won't find really anything yeah, except yeah, I what I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But anyway, I thought it was perfect because it, it invites us to look at the continuities between our body and the larger world. And when I use the phrase long body, I'm referring to the totality of our individual bodies plus habitat tribe and culture yeah. and there's there's so much interdependence there that i think it's fair to say that the body doesn't just stop at your fingertips the yeah. body doesn't stop at the outer layer of your skin mm -hmm. we are we're continuous with our habitat and with the people around us and the the in the mutual influence goes back and forth yeah. so much so often that it's almost like one larger organism that's fantastic and for me, that's just a really rich idea because it gets me out of myself and it gets me paying more attention to the world. And this, this is an, an indigenous idea. That's, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. It, it, um, the interdependence is probably one of the oldest ideas yeah. in human history. Yeah. You know, it probably goes back to 70,000, 80,000 years. Is one of the first things people started talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, in contrary, that uh, on the other side, we've got the short body. Right. And the short body <laughs> not just talking about me being, you know, uh, <laughs> right. We're not vertically talking challenged. About <laughs> no, we're talking about our view of the isolated mm. individual body yep. 
or looking at the body as a medical object where the body just stops at the outermost layer of skin. And that is a, a very Western concept and I think a very uh, impoverished one. Yep. It's, it's, it's pretty shallow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the education system, um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, but uh, through my university experience, I, I got a lot out of it um, in terms of critical thinking, uh, writing, uh, being curious. Right. But I also found that I keep zooming in, um, learning more and more about less and less. And I think <laughs> I take this quote from maybe Paul Check until you know absolutely everything about absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on 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 the Western education system? It's a big question. Right. Well, I'm happy to um, to give an opinion on that because I think it's. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a TED talk by Ken Robinson. That this is one of the all time favorite TED talks because yeah. he points out that our education system in the West devalues the body, mm. it devalues physicality, and it's very top heavy. Wow. So it's all about cognitive performance at the expense of the body and where anywhere you go in the modern world physical education is considered the, the least important of yep. all the disciplines and yep. it's the first thing to be cut yep. everywhere we go and the the tragedy is that in a native culture they would never do that the yep. body considered central yep. to their culture and their experience so what we've done is taken the body out of our educational system and put it as kind of a sideshow or an elective yep. and and kids get that i mean kids understand that their bodies are kind of being uh pushed to the side yep and so no wonder we would have problems with behavior and attention yes so <laughs> that that's my main critique of modern education of course there's it's a big subject that's fantastic it's a huge subject I know um, myself um, through observing what happened to a lot of my friends as they went into education further away from school, um, health declined quite rapidly. Mm. Um, and I feel, this is my gut feeling, I haven't seen any research on it, but maybe we don't even need that. But um, it's a big hit when you stop playing, you know, like I found that. Yes lunchtime interval every opportunity i had at uh, at school and my friends had we were out there throwing a rugby ball around you know being in new zealand um playing tag um diving on the ground practicing you know even combat skills you know you just um, right. just free movement it was great um right. and, and often the, the the challenge was uh, <laughs> when you get back into the classroom trying to cool down so um right I found just through observation and my own experiences, like I said, that um, this playfulness doesn't really exist beyond um, college here um, mm -hmm. or high school. Um, right. Have you right. observed something similar? And have you got anything to say oh, about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we give it up far too early. And that's why that's where I was really fortunate because at my martial art dojo, yeah. there was a very, very strong sense of play. And the beauty of it was once you learn the discipline of bowing to your partner and yep. observing certain rules, yep. and then you develop the sense of safety, then you can play yeah. at a really high level and yep. you can really explore that movement. So that's what uh, I think is missing. The yeah. other 
idea that um, is exciting related to education, and we're hearing more and more of this, is um, the phrase embodied cognition. And this comes from a, a very strange place. It comes from the world of robotics, where people are trying to build robots, and they're starting to realize that you can't put all the processing power in the, in the brain of the robot. There has to be some feedback from the limbs and from the torso yep. of the robot. And so that the, the cognition, the processing power of the robot, depends on the entire body. Yeah. And when you think about it, our bodies are precisely the same. We work we think with the entire body yep. and it's not a top down process. It's not Cartesian. It's yeah. full body. So. Yeah. Um, I read something recently on the enteric nervous system and how mm -hmm. uh, something like 90% of the fibers um, go from our, you know, from our gut to our brain, you know, right. um, which is kind right. of interesting, especially if you look at the terminology of brain, right? It's <laughs> super yep. interesting. Yep. And I've seen you touch, actually, I'm going to diverge a little bit again, um, on microbiome as well. And I noted earlier, you said um, when you were younger, you noticed you had some digestive issues and some allergies. Is that right? Have yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you got anything to, to comment on in terms of uh, microbiome? Well, I do. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's such a hot topic these yeah. days, and I don't have expert knowledge on it yeah. but i i do find it fascinating that we have basically this habitat within our bodies yeah it's so metabolically active that we are constantly exchanging not just substances with the microbiome yeah. but actual genetic material with yeah. the microbiome and it uh it profoundly influences our behavior and our mm. intelligence and everything that we do. Yeah. And so we're walking around with this ecosystem within us. And it's um, it really calls into question this sense of identity. You know, yes. who are we? Because you know, we're not this little man in the head, yeah. and we're even more than our own bodies. And yeah. so that that interdependence with the with the ecosystem is just profound. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about this coming up. It's, it's like who yeah who really are we? Yeah, super interesting, isn't it? Um, that interplay. And once again, I mean, if you think, I guess that ties quite nicely into the long body perspective, isn't it? You know, yes, yes. Yeah. It's because that we see that we see that microbiome from the earth, from yeah. habitat. It comes from dirt. I mean, yeah. it you know obviously part of it is seeded when we're born. You 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 emerge into the into the environment you pick up some some bacteria from mom that that makes sense yep. but then when you're when you're a child you're down you're getting your hands <laughs> in the dirt that yep. you're seeding your own body with yeah. your own your habitat so we take that away in the modern world with these super hygienic environments and that is clearly a problem yes yeah. yes it's fantastic um in terms of a holistic model, you know, holistic health is a very um, popular and fashionable term as well. Um, but what I see, and I'd be interested in your comments on this, is how we separate out each element of wellness again. So we go um, physical, mental, emotional, um, you know, nutrition, 
Um, we have all these uh, very, very specialized um, services, and that's fantastic. But are we, once again, are we isolating too much? Um, does there need to be some sort of um, well-rounded, long-body approach in the wellness system? <laughs> right. And, and then does. how do we even go about that? <laughs> right. Well, I, I do have some thoughts on that because – the standard model, at least in the States, is just two elements, basically, diet and exercise. Yeah. And now people are starting to realize, well, that's really not enough. You've got to have more elements. So let's add stress and sleep into that. Yeah. So now you have four elements. And then uh, some people will add more depending on who they are. Yeah. But for me, I go back to my readings in anthropology. And it didn't matter to me very much where, whether I was reading about the people in Australia or Africa or North America, the same six-part wheel came up over and over again. So people talked about mind, body, spirit. That yep. shows up all the time. Yes, yes. But the other parts of this were land, tribe, Fantastic. and ancestry. And for me, that's the holistic model. That's yep. the one that is the oldest model and I think is the most profound too. So mm. we can – Mind, body, spirit, that's pretty familiar to most of us. Land, that's habitat. Land, Putting fantastic. our bodies back in touch with habitat is crucial. Um, tribe, this is very much undervalued. Yeah. It, it creates our body. And without a sense of tribe, we all the diet and the exercise in the world isn't going to fix that. Yeah. We have to have that, that community. And then finally, ancestry. We have to have some connection to our past. Without that, we're also isolated too. So, uh, you know, in terms of tribe, the one that comes up a lot now is um, this book by Sebastian Younger. And you, you may have run into this. He's got a book called Tribe. Yep. And yep. he's a journalist. What he did, he, he went with some of the, uh, the soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he, he kind of tracked these guys when they came back from combat. And he realized that what was happening, they went from a, um, a community of soldiers, which is really tight, really strong on community, and then came back to the U.S. where they – came to a, a society and a culture that doesn't really value community that much. Yeah. And now they're treated like med medical objects, yeah. but really there's nothing wrong with them. No. The thing that's wrong is us. And that's the point he makes in the book. It's really quite good. Yep. I, I heard you reference, and I've, I've heard this before, the, the famous uh, Rat Park um, research. Yes. I thought that was yes. fantastic and mind-blowing. Yes. Yep. That's Bruce Alexander, That's and it. he did that. Uh, I think the rap part came out of the 1970s, I yeah. believe, with his studies into addiction. And at mm -hmm. the time, everybody would introduce uh, addicting substances to the rats in these caged environments. And Alexander said, well, that's an unnatural environment. Why don't we build a natural environment and see what happens? And the rates of addiction went down. So a very profound mm -hmm. warning. To us. Yes. Super interesting. Uh, um, so I'm going to dive into play a little bit more. This is what originally drew me to your work, actually, is um, yeah. I noticed uh, being a personal trainer at the time and, and still um, that, like I mentioned before, exercise was 
and is uh, prescribed in a very, very uh, medical way. Mm-hmm. And I actually began to not enjoy it myself. I went from you know, high-performance sport um, to the bodybuilding-style philosophy. Um, right. And I got a lot out of that process, to be honest. Um, but it just seemed so disconnected, and I really started to dread my training. Um, mm-hmm. And I was starting to prescribe that to my clients, and they were getting physical results, but other areas of life, not so much. Right. And to an extent as well. It was obviously limited. Then, you know, I just sort of took a step back from myself and thought to myself, okay, what is missing here? Um, what did I used to have that I don't have now? And that was the element of play. And I think I did a fair bit of Google searching and came across your work and bought some of your books and they were very, very play, uh, play oriented, which I thought was fantastic. Um, and I still think, I still believe it's a, it is one of the missing elements of wellness. Um, could you dive into this a little bit more? Oh yeah. Um, well, like I said, I, I got started on this in the martial arts and, and that was super fun. Um, learned a lot there. And I also um, trained with Paul check a little bit and he was, big, he was big with the medicine ball and he had a few drills with the medicine ball and I got inspired. I said, well, we could do these other things. Once we start passing the medicine ball, well, we could start moving a little bit. And before you know it, you have a game. And then there's there's a bunch of medicine ball games that you can do, and that is profoundly exciting because you get you get the social element, you get the dynamic element, and you get the athletic element because you're always you're working with weight, but it's yeah. always changing, so you are forced to adapt every time, and especially you get a, a variety of medicine balls, and, and you can really have a great time. Yeah. So. The, the biggest obstacle, I think, is that adults, you, they sort of train themselves out of play. They think that, well, it's silly, it's frivolous, it's for kids. I want to get the killer workout, and I'm not going to get the killer workout if we're laughing and being silly. But you can get the killer workout. Yes, yes. <laughs> with through play, you can <laughs> do that. And just yeah. one example is um, we do um, slam dunks with the medicine ball through the hula hoop and <laughs> you could you have a hoop master who holds up the hula hoop yeah. and you can hold the hula hoop at different heights for different people and then the uh per the athlete grabs the medicine ball and slams it down as hard as they can yeah. you do a bunch of those and that's a killer workout yeah but it's it's really fun and it's social and you have a great time so we have a, a bunch of those and it's wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah, I have played with a few, a uh, fair bit of them myself, actually. Um, really good. No pun intended. <laughs> it's really good. Um, okay, so once again, I'm going to go over this a little bit more just because I think it's so profound is thoughts on gym, uh, the gym, gymnasium, and training, especially if you start to relate this to, you know, what you saw in Africa. Um or if you relate this to the the long body perspective, where does a uh, gym fit into this uh, model, and does it? <laughs> right. Well, first of all, there's a lot of different gyms and a lot of different gym models, and some of them are beautiful, and some of them I think so. There's a lot of trainers doing really great work. My particular beef is with the corporate gym, the big corporate gym yeah. that is um, so sanitized and so. Um, 
so directed at the short body and yep. so directed at appearance of the short yes, body. Yes. And the the proliferation of mirrors, I think, is a real big problem because it focuses people so much on their own individual short bodies that it takes them out of community. And <laughs> this is something that I think um, has really changed our perspective on ourselves and the body over the last 50 years, it's assumed now yeah. that if you create a gym that you have to have a bunch of mirrors and people justify it and they say, well, it, it's because then you get your biomechanics just perfect. And I look at that and I say, well, I don't, I don't agree. I, I think it's <laughs> for other purposes and I don't think you need mirrors in a gym. Because people can figure out their biomechanics, and people have done that. You know, hunters and gatherers and dancers figured out their biomechanics perfectly well for thousands of years <laughs> without mirrors. Yeah. So I think that's a that's kind of a sideshow, and it gets people. I really think the big modern corporate gyms are kind of a, a palace of narcissism, really, yeah. and it, it's um, it's a real missed opportunity to get people playing together. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's going to change with with, uh, with things like MoveNet and CrossFit and all yep. the outdoor training. We're we're starting to see now that the big modern corporate gym, I think, is going to fade away mm. to some extent. It's still valuable in places where the weather's really bad, or you know, inner city. There's only so much you can do, but people are starting to crave nature. People are starting to crave community, and they want that. So. Biophilia. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's great. So I've, I, I, I've quite often rant about this and this is one of the reasons that drove, uh, me and the other, um, three owners of, of HealthFit, the place that I work out of, um, to create what we've created. And we're constantly looking, uh, at ways to, to evolve, um, or devolve, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, <laughs> that, uh, play and community are two of our, our highest values. So, we try, we try our best to inject that uh, into the model, um, which is really nice. It's a really nice place to, to be. Nice, um, and you nice. start to feel it. It's really nice. good. Especially when you're working long days, it makes it a lot more enjoyable and sustainable too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So some of the work I, I really enjoyed um, with some of your, your books that you've written is relating it back to apes and uh, bonobos. Right. <laughs> In terms of uh, movement, playfulness, and just a way of being, I think you tied them all into the uh, be like a bonobo uh, <laughs> phrase. So would you like to comment on that? Sure. I, I'm i not a primatologist, and I don't know chimpanzees <laughs> or bonobos in detail, but yep. I know the, the rough outlines, and I've actually been to Gombe in Tanzania. I've, I've been to where Jane Goodall did her work, and I got to see chimpanzees in the wild. Wow. And, of course, I've read about um, about these. They're our closest living relatives yeah. on the planet, and there's a big difference in disposition. There's a big difference in their, in their personalities, if you will. Yeah. And chimps... Chimps are very dangerous, and they're violent, and they're yeah. very territorial. Bonobos, on the other hand, are more matriarchal, and they're, they spend a lot more time having sex and playing, and they seem to be a lot more appealing creatures in that sense. <laughs> yes. So 
it's not just me. A lot of people have described bonobos as the hippies of the primate world <laughs> and suggesting that we could do better by being more like bonobos and less like chimps. And I, <laughs> I know that's a cartoon. And at the same time, I think there's really something to that because yeah. we have that potential for, for, for both within us and i think we can we can give some thought to being more like bonobos <laughs> i think that's great that uh that made me laugh it was so good though now how do we take this uh this ancestral way of living or being i should say and integrate it into a a modern lifestyle so you know your yeah. nine to five worker which i think now is actually more like eight till six p.m worker <laughs> Uh, right, busy family and, and whatnot. How do we start to even begin to uh, to make those changes? Yeah, well, it's such a gargantuan task <laughs> because if you, if you look at the modern environment as an alien environment, and once you start to understand something about human evolution and the fact that we're crafted by evolution for this uh, this ancestral environment, the modern world starts to look totally alien in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's an alien kinetic environment. It's an alien social environment. It's an alien nutritional environment. So you've got, we can't do it all. We've got to pick a place and start somewhere. And it's going to depend on who you are. And it might be as simple as getting outside more. I mean, that's, that's pretty much, a recommendation that fits for everybody across the board in the modern world. Get outside more. Enjoy more community. Spend more time with what I call rich communication. That means face-to-face interactions with people rather than all the digital stuff. That's shallow communication. And and we're we're not suited for that. So when I do, uh, when I do a workshop, we, minimize if not completely outlaw the uh, (laughs) it has its place yeah yeah so that's one way um and obviously the things that need to happen with food this the distinction i make here with food is that it's not so much the substances that are the problem although they are the the problem with modern agriculture gives us it's so good at what it does Mm. it gives us really uh space food because the food that we eat now, we don't even know where it comes from half the time. And even if it's good quality, we still often don't know where it comes from. It just, especially if we order it on the internet, we, it just appears at our door. Yeah. So this is, this is rightly called space food. And what we need to do is find a way to eat more earth food, which earth food, by my reckoning, is simply food with a story that anchors it to the ground, anchors it somewhere in habitat, and anchors it to people who actually helped get you that food. So, yes, avoid the sugar and the gluten, all that, all the regular recommendations, do that, but look for earth food whenever you can. That is fantastic. I've never heard it called that before. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, finally, I think the, the other thing that has to happen for us relates to stress, but even more fundamentally, it relates to our ability to relate to time. Mm. Something is amiss with our relationship with time, which is to say our experience of being alive. And we've, we live with this assumption that time is linear. Time is always getting away from us. We waste time. We spend time. 
and we try and save time. That's not paleo. That's not normal for us. Mm. Time in a native sense in an indigenous world is circular and organic and it's flexible too. So we need to somehow craft a better relationship with time. And that's, I, I write a little bit about that, but for me, that's, really right at the heart of what we're trying to do because if you if you don't have enough time you won't be able to do all these lifestyle practices that you need to do but if you do have a better sense of time then everything else becomes easier your exercise your diet everything else you have to do becomes much more easy so um that's something to ponder that's fantastic did you notice that uh being with the african uh tribes as well in terms of time was it something you noted well not only there, but in other travels I've made, you you hear about Africa time, you hear about Alaska time, <laughs> you hear native time, yeah. and this is we usually use this phrase when somebody shows up late all the time. Well, he's just on Africa time, he's just on Alaska time, yeah. and the idea here is that people are not really that concerned with punctuality the way we are. But they're more in touch with seasonal changes and the holistic experience of being in the environment. So they might not show up right at 10 o'clock, but they will show up at an appropriate time. That's great. And just touching again on uh, getting into nature or getting it amongst your habitat, I think you said... um, I was really made aware of the artificial barriers we create for ourselves. I've got a, um, a five-year-old daughter, and I still remember this when she was uh, two years old, maybe, no, three years old, and we're, we're at home, and, and, and the only thing that used to irritate her was if she couldn't get outside, and, wow. and she looked at me, she said, Dad, can we get outside today? And I looked outside, and it was wet, and it was raining. I said, no, no, it's a bit wet and cold today, Brooke. Um, you know, how about we wait for, we'll do it another day. And she turned around and said, Dad, you can put a jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you're right. Yes, I can. <laughs> so I put a jacket on and went outside and we had a great time. Um, nice. It just really made me aware of um, the intrinsic barriers we create for ourselves, um, and maybe how non-resilient uh, we've made ourselves. Right. And it scares me a little bit, actually. It scares me as to how that could even impact us on a DNA level. You know, if you start to look at epigenetics and epigenetic tags, I'm not a geneticist, right. but, you know, it makes me wonder what is our future generations going to, you know, what are we going to look like? And, and Yeah, if, and it, I think there's, there's something even more to it than the fact that when we're indoors, we're generally sedentary. Yeah. I, there's more to it than that. I, the experience of outdoors is um, much more sensory, mm. a different sensory experience. Uh, it's an ancient sensory experience, and that speaks to us in a completely different way, something yeah. that the bodies really understand. Uh-huh. We don't understand all the plastics and the, the yes. flat surfaces and, yes. and all the stuff in a modern building that you touch it and it feels the same everywhere. Mm. So you don't learn anything from that tactile experience of being indoors because everything's clean, everything's the same all the time. But outdoors, there's variation, and that variation is uh, is important to your survival. Mm. And that physical interaction, um, it make you know, it obviously put puts a lot of question marks uh, around wearing shoes. <laughs> yes, yes. 
these amazing sensory pads that, that, that allow us to interact with our environment. They give us so much information um, yep. and we, we wrap them up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. down. And one of my, one of my friends who's a local practitioner around here, he said, that, uh, it's always stuck with me that wearing shoes is like wearing boxing gloves on your hands and trying to function. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't make any yep. sense. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and if you really want to make the point to your your clients, you know, ask them about keeping their clothes on during sex. I mean, it's the same idea, <laughs> right? Because going outdoors barefoot under good conditions, that's an erotic experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> sexy. So it's, It is. It is. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, Frank, could you tell me what your day looks like? (laughs) Well, that's a good question because um, as I, you know, I've been involved in this, I'm 61 now and I've been involved in this stuff for 40 years, I guess. And uh, I've, I've done the hard training and it's been great and I've enjoyed it. I, I climbed for a lot of years and spent tons of time outdoors and now I'm kind of uh, developing this passion for activism and wanting to take what I've learned and turn it into something that other people can benefit from. And for me, that means writing. And for me, writing is tremendously hard work. And it means it means sedentary living for me to do it. Yeah. So it's this um, it's a huge trade off. For me, because I want to be an activist. I want to touch the world. And my channel for doing that is through the written word. And that means long hours at the desk. And I do it because I, I feel it's important, but it does impact my lifestyle. And I get out. I'm, I'm out every day for a hike or some medicine ball or something, some martial arts. I've got a dog that keeps me out a lot. <laughs> Great. Right. Um, I'm not as active as I'd like to be, but I'm an activist and that's what makes me happy. That's what gives me a sense of meaning. And, um, you know, I've, I've had my physical day in the sun. That's great. <laughs> and now I want to share what I learned. So uh, time to pass down the wisdom to your tribe. I'm, I'm hoping to do that. Yeah. yeah. And of course I, I live in the Pacific Northwest and now it's coming on wintertime and the days are really short and I'm, you know, I'm forced indoors. So, I do what I can, and I even work out indoors sometimes. Yep. But uh, but I, I move and correct, and I meditate. I meditate every day too. So. Oh, that was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> yeah. What sort of importance do you put on meditation? I the, the more I do it, and I, I've been a good meditator, I'd say for the last four years. Yeah, and you know, pretty consistent, and. The more I do it, the more benefit I think I get from it. It's it's actually really exciting because it um, you can learn to let go of yourself. You can learn to let go with your preoccupation with your own life. <laughs> and the more you let go of that and allow the body to take over, now the body is perfectly happy without the self-talk and without all the drama that goes on in your head, the body is perfectly happy there. Mm. And you allow that body to do what it does, and suddenly you, you just feel a lot better. So I'm, um, I'm really excited about meditation, and that's why we include it in all the workshops that we do. 
and it's um, an integral part. Yeah. Another big, a big uh, word in the industry now, in the health industry, is uh, mindfulness. And, right. Um, I think it's starting to go out of fashion, the word itself, but I think the principle is really important. Uh, you know, mindful of your movement, mindful of your mind, you know, be your, mm-hmm. you know, watch your internal dialogue um, and even mindful of the, the way that you eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that for some people can be a form of meditation. Is that right? Just uh, living a mindful existence? Yes, and you're right. I, I think it's a bit of a fad and I think it's a bit it's confusing a lot of times for a lot of people because this idea that you're supposed to be in the present moment all the time, I think is unrealistic. The, um, the human mind is really good at traveling, you know, time traveling from the past to the future and back again, or from big picture to small picture and back and forth. So what I encourage people to do is have a rhythmic sense of attention Sure, go to the, think about the future, think about the past, but be able, I describe it as uh, athletic attention. And I think, you know, the same qualities that we look for in our bodies, we look for in our minds too, where we can, we can move or we can be still, we can focus future, past, and come back to the present. And if you can do that, if you got that athletic attention, then I think you're going to be happy. The problem, uh, the problem comes is when we get stuck in any one particular place and get stuck in the future dreaming about the future, get stuck in the past with all your regrets about the past. Um, that doesn't work so well. So that's, that's powerful. That's brilliant. I've never heard that either. That's, uh, that's, there's a gold nugget right there. (laughs) (laughs) The other, if you could pass down or inject one piece of wisdom, uh, to the entire planet, uh, what would that be? What would be your message? Well, it's a good question, and I think the the answer to that comes from the Native American tradition, and that's to pay attention to the seventh generation. I mean, this is this is pretty popular in people who study Native American traditions, and it it again comes from the Iroquois tradition, and they they wrote it right into their uh, their constitution, if you will. It's like pay attention to the seventh generation. How do your decisions, how does your behavior impact your descendants? This is something that we've lost. And that, I think, would be my number one advice to everybody going forward. We have to pay more attention to this. Um, the other phrase that, that is a similar phrase, be a good ancestor. I like and, that. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you can be just a little bit more wise in mm. your behaviors, that's going to benefit your descendants considerably. It's going to ripple forward in the future. So be a good ancestor, and you may not have to revise your life all that much. Just be a little bit more sapient, if you will. That's fantastic. I love that. Being a father as well, that's um, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's a really yeah. strong motivator. What inspires you? Where do you get where do you get your inspiration from, Frank? Well, I get it from anywhere I can, but I, mm. I, I there's a lot of writers that I really like. I like Robert Sapolsky. Oh, I like yeah. uh, I like Richard Dawkins. I like Steven Pinker. These guys are huge inspirations to me, just because the they they can go big picture, small picture, big yeah. back 
they are really um, just a delight to read. But um, lately, as as an activist, I'm really interested in people like Bill McKibben, who is uh, leading. He's a climate change activist here in the U.S., and he's a guy who is constantly out there writing and speaking and getting arrested and making a difference mm. for the few for the seventh generation actually for this generation climate change so bill mckibben is he's a big inspiration Mm. to me very courageous so people that inspire you are people that inspire a lot of other people too absolutely (laughs) and these are people who are taking a risk yeah for the tribe these are people who are sticking their necks out for the benefit of the tribe and that's that's the warrior archetype this is, this is the kind of people that we have honored for mm. thousands of years. Yeah. They go out and hunt. They go out and gather. Bring the food to us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's so good. Oh, my God. I could dive into so much here with you. But uh, we are getting a little bit short on time. So what are you working on currently? Well, the big project is a book called The Art is Long. And, of course, it's about the long body. Yep. or big health, and um, I'm about halfway there, 70% of the way there. I've got a ways to go, but I hope to have it done by the spring. And then I do the series of workshops here in Washington, and uh, I would invite your uh, your listeners to, to come and join. I know it's a long way, but uh, <laughs> we, do, we do a fantastic workshop, and it's, it's really unique because it's holistic, and it's it's led not just by me, but my senior students as well. So we all participate and it's all uh, co-teaching, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that's always a job to put that on. So between the writing and the workshops, that's kind of my life. That's great. Frank. Hey, I have to say, uh, you look great for 61. You look very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for everyone listening, uh, Frank is a really, really good writer. So please check out his work. Um, his blog posts are, are fantastic as well. And where can people find you? Um, your... Well, probably the easiest way is just go to exuberantanimal.com and you could email me through there. Yep. Um, easy, to, easy to remember, Exuberant Animal. And then yeah. I'm, I'm real good about getting back to people. So yeah, that's easy. Yeah. And. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Frank. Like, I really appreciate it. You've got such a, an amazing message, and I think more people like you and your tribe are going to make the world a better place. So um, really, really fun talking to you, and I feel like I could uh, talk to you for another few hours, but <laughs> hopefully we'll get you over this side of the world one day. Well, right. That was going to be my next thing. It's like, <laughs> let's figure some way to do it. I know It's a huge job to host a workshop, I know, but... Um, I really think there's enough interest down your way that uh, if we could get one event with maybe some sideshows going on, yes, um, it, could, it could work. So, yeah. so watch the space. Um, I'll keep everyone yeah. updated with that. Um, I'll put the show notes on my website, um, www.bestme.co.nz. Mm-hmm. Um, but please go and check out Frank's work and um, – yeah, stay inspired and try and write down. I, I've got this habit of writing down gold nuggets of, uh, of, of most of my inter- interactions, and I have got <laughs> scrolls of information here. So <laughs> I'll try my best to be succinct. Hey, um, thanks again, Frank. Uh, 
you're a great guy with a great message and keep keep pushing keep charging man wonderful well same to you and uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to uh, meeting you sometime in person yep it'll happen <laughs> this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.